welcome to PS, the Puget Sound podcast. I'm Elena Becker, and we're talking with members of our campus community about their Puget Sound experiences. Today I'm at Moonyard Studio here in Tacoma, Washington, and I'm talking with Aldrin Villahermosa, a junior from Honolulu, Hawaii. Aldrin, hi, welcome to the podcast. What's up, Elena? <laughs> I am so happy to have you. Uh, you've given me formal permission to call you mm. AJ on the air. Uh, delighted to be able to do that yeah. today. I didn't know for months and months we knew each other, and I didn't know that's what people called you. Yeah, and like in the formal professional workplace, I usually go by Aldrin or like until people realize that, oh, I'm also, I go also go by AJ because when I introduce myself in classes, saying Aldrin, people confuse it with Aiden, Alden. And oh, like, sure. And then my childhood nickname is AJ, so that's how my family and friends from back home also know me as. Sure. So, so you react to it. You yeah. hear it and turn mm-hmm. around and know it's you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having a hard time right now. Elena is not that common, right? Mm-hmm. People have it, but for most of my life, if someone yeah. says Elena, they mean me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I coach a high school sports team in Tacoma, oh. and there's a player on my team right now who's named Elena. So every weeknight for two hours, <laughs> there's a like 50% chance that when somebody yeah. says Elena, they don't mean me. And it's one of the weirdest experiences because people for the most part do not Mm -hmm. mix it up yeah uh with anybody else so no yeah like this semester i have a class where there's another agent in the class so i've had to revert to using my actual formal legal name to distinguish (laughs) is that kind of disorienting uh, sometimes whenever the professor calls out the other agent i'm like oh not me (laughs) that's exactly what i'm having right now it's the head turn like oh okay got it you don't mean me Mm -hmm. yeah excellent Well, you're a junior. Mm-hmm. That's right, right? Yeah. Yes. You've been at Puget Sound for about two and a half years. Surprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> Will you just think back to before we even get into what's happened in the two and a half years, two years, senior year of mm-hmm. high school, what was college, even before Puget Sound came on your radar, like for you? Did you expect to go to college? Did you have a sense of what that mm-hmm. would be like? Uh, so college was always a conversation for my family and I where... Um, my parents were like, okay, you can go to whatever college you want and we'll just help you out and like get you to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Also because my older sister is a alumna of a university that's also here in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of didn't really have an influence, but more of like, this is a, like an area that's very different from like our home. And so you should potentially try it out and come out here. Sure. But I didn't want to go to the big state school that she went to. So mm-hmm. liberal arts colleges were along the radar but but you had the pacific northwest on your radar because of her in a sense also yeah. my older cousin um am i allowed to name him? sure uh yeah his name is mark fagaraga and he was a 2014 grad he sure was yeah. he was the vice president of the associated of ASOS, students yep. of the university uh-huh. of puget sound exactly what a lineage yeah. <laughs> puget sound i didn't also, know that yeah and he's also my one of my fraternity brothers too so we're also in the same fraternity together so that's one way that I heard of Puget Sound but sure. never really kind of thought of coming here at first yeah and because he would have graduated <clears throat> before you mm-hmm. were doing any of this yeah. really like when he graduated I was in my freshman slash sophomore year of high school so right. college was still an idea but like not fully formed not like down to the to nuts and bolts yeah exactly yeah but yeah now I'm here um and how did you end up, like, when you went through the process, did you start looking at liberal arts schools in the Pacific Northwest? No, I actually didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I first wanted to go to Southern California because I was like, son, it's similar enough to home. And, like, I really wanted to be in the sun for college mm-hmm. and, like, have that 
I guess, freedom in a sense because mm. it's similar to home, but it's still far away enough that I could do whatever without my right. parents being on my back. Yeah, you sort of get yeah. to have the adventure of college, mm-hmm. but without the total like, whoa, this is different. Exactly, and I was also afraid of being homesick because in Southern California, mostly the South Central LA area, uh, I have a lot of family there, mm. so that would have been a nice grounding experience. But later on, I realized. Maybe that's not something that I really wanted to do. <laughs> How did that transition happen? Um, funny story. <laughs> so uh, I think it was the last. It was the last week of April, and so it was also after my 18th birthday that mm. I, that my decision to come to Puget Sound happened. So you were kind of down to the wire. It was really down to the yeah. wire. Kind of more of I sent in my deposit the day before they were all due on May first. <laughs> so really down to the wire. Don't recommend it. But it was a decision on a whim Mm. but also with a lot of thought because I wanted to experience something new without having to completely disconnect from being home Mm -hmm. um Puget Sound came up as an option for me because um I sent in my application out of just I've heard of it and this is a campus that a good amount of my high school alumni actually came to. Sure. Where did you go to high school? uh, University Laboratory School. Mm -hmm. So it's a really small public charter school in Manoa, which is like East Honolulu. Um, But yeah, so I actually talked about it with my barber uh, (laughs) because his boss is a UPS alum of the BLP program. Mm -hmm. And so he connected me with her and I kind of just like started talking about my options for college because it was two very big schools on the spectrum where it was either Southern California or all the way up into Washington, mm-hmm. which is UPS. And so, yeah, she kind of gave me the idea that, oh, Puget Sound is a pretty good place to explore because there's a lot to do in the area, more of just like instead of more of the outdoorsy things that I don't get to do a lot in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's just way more different than home. And that's kind of what helped her form her it was a formative experience for her. And so yeah. that's kind of what I wanted to look for also for myself. And a lot of what we're sort of dancing around mm-hmm. right now is something I knew I wanted to ask you about anyway, because in so many ways, Hawaii is so different from the cotton yeah. United States, <laughs> right? Like I think aesthetically and culturally and in mm-hmm. sort of the felt experience. Yeah. And so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about even when you were considering coming to the mainland for college, and then once you actually did it, Mm -hmm. a lot of students, a lot of students I've had on the podcast have talked about it being kind of an adjustment coming to the Pacific Northwest from Colorado or from California or from the East Coast. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if for you, if that was sort of magnified by the experience of coming to the mainland and then within that coming to this particular part of it. Yeah. So my only experience before coming to UPS or just Washington in general was a trip in, I think it was 2010, Mm -hmm. 2011-ish. And so that was a family trip because I also have family here that lives in Everett and a cousin that actually lives here and he lives on Pearl Street. So pretty close. Yeah, here, like (laughs) 10 minutes away. Exactly. So that was comforting knowing that I do have family here, but Mm -hmm. they're not super close. Um, And did it feel like some continuity also? Like I imagine you knew that what you were getting mm-hmm. yourself into here was different than what you were familiar with because you've hinted at that in yeah. a lot of our conversations so far. Was that part of you feeling like, oh, okay, I'll be able to do this? Uh, I guess the the adjustment to Puget Sound and the Pacific Northwest in general was a lot harder than I thought it would be. 
Um, I had a lot of forewarning from my high school counselor because she said it was not anything that I would expect it to be in the sense of uh, diversity on campus and its comparison to what it was like at home. Because, yeah, certainly relative to yeah, Hawaii. Um, because at home, I was a part of a majority group because like Filipinos are everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then coming here, I was like, oh, there's one, two, three that I know of right now. Mm-hmm. And so that was something that I had to adjust to. And becoming a minority was something that I didn't really understand was possible mm-hmm. because growing up on an island for 18 years, you're always surrounded by the same people and right. like they look exactly like you and the cultural norms are very similar. And so nothing to like have to change or adjust to until you leave the island mm-hmm. for a set amount of time. And that's what something that I had to pretty much learn day by day. Um, and I realized that on campus there are support systems, but... I kind of had to seek them out instead of them coming to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was one of the harder adjustments is like finding community and people that I had to pretty much align myself with in order to make my experience more worthwhile here. Mm. And I did find that surprisingly. And it was, it took some time, but it did happen. And it's honestly an experience that I do see as my form of experience at Puget mm. Sound. And that's what I've learned a lot about who I am in terms of what I stand for and what I want to pursue in the future in addition to just finding friends. It's hard (laughs) in college. (laughs) And it's a real skill. And I think a lot of people, I certainly didn't realize that when I was graduating from Mm -hmm. high school, is that like the ability to build a community and make friends and sort of um, curate your life the way you want it is work and takes effort and you can get better at it. It can be a learned skill. I didn't realize that either. It was an interesting uphill battle my freshman year. (laughs) Well, talk a little bit, to the extent that you feel Uh comfortable talking about it, a little bit about what that learning process and that advocacy process was like. Yeah, mostly it was, at first, the biggest issue was not even the people or the culture of the campus. It was more of just weather. Uh (laughs) Uh, Going from sunny every single day and just like some rainy days Mm -hmm. to, I'm pretty sure, no, freshman year, I know it. It was for sure a bad year for weather. (laughs) I remember they called it an El Nino year. And so it was raining every single day. And spring semester didn't help until, I don't think the sun came out. It's my spring semester, my freshman year until like two weeks before finals. But it was still like intermittently raining. And so it was like hard. (laughs) It was funny for me when I, so I'm from Seattle. Mm -hmm. When I started at college, you had to talk to people from Hawaii or talk to people from L.A., because I would think it was like a pretty nice day out, yeah. right, in March or April or whatever. And those people would be like, are you nuts? Uh-huh. Like, I, there are still clouds covering the sun. Exactly. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, but I mean, it's not raining and, you you know, it feels warm and there's no yeah. wind. And it, so it is, um, yes, that's, I'm not at all surprised to hear you say that that was sort of the first thing that you felt like, whoa, this is different. I uh-huh. noticed this. Yeah. Uh, so first tip to any kids coming from sunny states. <laughs> Get a happy lamp. <laughs> Those definitely helped me a lot because I didn't know what they were. So a little Amazon search helped out mm-hmm. a little bit. I don't know if I'm allowed to say company names, but... I don't see why not. Yeah. Maybe we'll get sponsored. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> my, my fraternity big for, works for Amazon, so I don't know. Get the name out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Amazon, sponsor the podcast. But yeah, so that was one of the adjustments. And then living with someone that you don't know... And that just gets paired up with you. That Mm -hmm. was a learning curve in itself. Um, Having to share a space and think about like your 
daily routine in relation to the other person's routine and making sure that they kind of don't collide as much and hopefully mm-hmm. your schedule and your in and outness of the room doesn't kind of deal change with or like affect their their schedule also mm-hmm. yeah because yeah that was a interesting time because I've had my own room but I had two sisters that I had to live with so mm-hmm. it wasn't too much of an issue but it's just like sharing everything and making sure that your boundaries are set and yeah. kind of formulated before getting there and like over time developed was something that was hard to do. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I'm reminded of hearing you talk about roommates in particular is that you're an RA. Yeah. So you now have experience of this from the reverse side also, not just of having lived with a roommate, but Mm -hmm. also of watching how many residents do you have every year, would you say? So last year I had 20 residents. Yes, 20 residents. And this year now I have 29. So So you've cumulatively seen 50 people navigate that process. (laughs) And it's interesting being on the other side of all of it and being that person that kind of tells them what they should do and what they shouldn't do and being that mediating body. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, like, how other people's individual dynamics clash a lot more than you think they would. Mm. But Can you say some more about that? Like, what have you noticed in your job? (laughs) So I remember last year I had two residents... One really liked reading with the lights on up until 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. and working on projects for, I don't even remember what the project, oh, it was building a computer. Oh, like a personal project. Yeah, it was yeah. a personal project, not even for school. And it was like the first week where one where the one resident that was building the computer would stay up until at least like 1 or 2 a.m. Right. And that would also be the same resident that reads until 1 or 2 a.m. Sure, like a real night owl. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it was just weird having to like tell this the other person to be to change their routine for the sake of the other person right and that's something that because presumably their roommate did not stay up until one or Mm -hmm. two in the morning reading or working oh yeah the other roommate was a complete opposite (laughs) where he went to bed at believe like 8 or 9 p.m. every night so a very early sleeper yeah those are just two real extremes oh yeah so it was like hard navigating but unfortunately someone had to move so that happens but I think one of the nice things to know about that is for the most part and you should correct Mm -hmm. me if this is not if I'm not saying a res life approved thing I would say that our attitude towards roommates and life on campus is we want you to try and work it out Right. And we want you to get used to the idea that when you spend a lot of time around other people that maybe other people that are not like you, you might need to learn some things and adjust a little bit and maybe even be a little uncomfortable for a little while while Mm -hmm. you're learning things and adjusting. But that when you hit a hard stop about my routine is to stay up till two in the morning with the lights on versus my routine is to go to bed at eight, that we can also have a hard solution to that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and sometimes the easiest path out of a situation like that is, OK, you you all are just different and we've learned that and we can accommodate that, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. What I've seen is that the mission of having a roommate your freshman year is to pretty much acquire the adult skill of conflict mediation absolutely it's really important and it's something that i have seen that like is used past being having a freshman roommate when you're in different organizations or in uh, even a group project for college Mm -hmm. it's you have to have the ability to navigate not accommodating everything but making compromises 
And so that's one thing that I really appreciate from ResLife is that I've had so much practice over the past three years as a resident mm-hmm. and now as an RA is that I know how to navigate these conversations along with just knowing how different people's dynamics are and just mm-hmm. understanding where people come from because not everyone is the same. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about the life period of going to college mm-hmm. is that you are sort of transitioning into a lot of adult skills. And the conflict mediation and standing up for yourself skill is a real soft skill mm-hmm. because for many students for your entire life up until this point, you have always had the opportunity of going to an authority figure and asking them to mediate for you. (laughs) And moving into a residence hall and having an RA is sort of one step back where you still can go to that person and Mm. say, I need some strategies. I need some guidance. What do you think I should do about this person, about this issue I'm having? But there is, I think, more of an expectation that you know, maybe a good solution to that would be to say to your roommate, hey, it really bugs me mm-hmm. <laughs> that you keep the lights on real late when I'm trying to go to bed. Yeah. Can can we work that out? It's like pushing you to have those hard conversations that you never had to do before yeah. and then becoming comfortable with them. That's the main takeaway, yeah. <laughs> in <And> my opinion. <laughs> and I don't know if this was your experience or mm-hmm. if you see this with your residents, but I think for me and for a lot of people I knew in college, Being able to do that actually builds your confidence. You end up with more productive, positive relationships Mm -hmm. if you are empowered to feel like you can say to somebody, hey, this thing that you're doing bothers me without it having to be like a capital T thing, right? Like if everybody's okay with the idea that sometimes there's going to be a little bit of friction and or, you know, sometimes you're going to have to say to someone, hey, I don't like that. Uh And then that'll be the end of it. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good thing to learn. (sighs) It's been fun living in a freshman dorm. I'm mm-hmm. excited to not do it next year. <laughs> Are you not going to be an RA again? Yeah, next year I'm going to be vice president of my fraternity. So. Oh, so those two things conflict. Yeah, so I'm not allowed. I have to, when you're, uh, well, for my fraternity chapter, we have to live in the house according to our mm-hmm. bylaws. And so now I have to give up one pretty fun fun job that I'd say mm-hmm. uh, that I've had a part of my life for past a year and a half now. So kind of moving from one job where you're managing to another job of managing. I was going to say, I would imagine a lot of those skills yeah. are transferable. So I'm kind of glad I got the good practice in now that I get to work interpersonally with my fraternity brothers. Yeah. It'll be fun. Hey there, I'm Ryan Del Rosario, Assistant Director of Admission and School of Music Admission Coordinator. I'm checking in to make sure you know about Puget Sound's conservatory-style school of music. Puget Sound students can major or minor in music performance, music education, music business, and composition. Non-majors can take music classes, play in our ensembles, and even be eligible for scholarship. Visit pugetsound.edu music to find out more. But for now, back to the show. What is your role as vice president going to be? So for my fraternity, vice president entails handling in-house business. So we have what we what are called officers. And so they hold mm-hmm. different positions within the house, such as philanthropy, uh, social media chair, uh, all of these other things that I'm now blanking on. Mm-hmm. But within a fraternity, it's kind of like having your own little organization. And so vice president manages everyone that's within the house and those people in those positions while the president handles the house to a lesser extent but more of having the ability to 
work with the university mm-hmm. and just like hire up bodies that's not within the house. Is it fair to say that you're kind of managing down, the president is kind of managing up? Pretty much, yeah. Is that, yeah. I yeah. would imagine that that's a lot of skills then related to your job in res life in terms of being able to manage a big group of people, mm-hmm. in terms of being able to convey institutional policies and procedures in a way that individuals will yeah. understand and maybe identify with. Oh, definitely. And it also helps that being in res life, I've been able to build re- working relationships relationships with <laughs> other people in like higher up administrative roles. Mm, sure. In different parts of the university, surprisingly. Yeah. Like working with Dr. Baker on different things in addition to mm-hmm. meeting with President Crawford in different aspects. It's like I know these people and I can have these honest conversations with them regarding other things on campus. And so it's Res life gives you power on this campus yeah. and it's really fun. And I think that's another really great point about sort of the way in which structures at a university like Puget mm-hmm. Sound help you build adult soft skills, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Is that you get put in positions where you have the opportunity to meet people in leadership positions and to figure out, mm-hmm. oh, okay, you know, now that I've had that meeting with Dr. Baker, I can go up to her when I see her in the student union and remind her of my name and say hi. And, you know, we were in that meeting last week, really enjoyed meeting and how to sort of build those kinds of professional relationships. Because to your point, oftentimes they're relevant even to other positions. Mm -hmm. And it's also really cool because uh, it's building those relationships don't just end when you're on the university campus. Like, for example, last year's AS, uh, associated uni- students of the University of Puget Sound president. Mm-hmm. ASAPs. Uh, ASAPs. Yeah, our uh, student government. Yeah. <laughs> ASAPs is a little easier than the, yeah. <laughs> the whole mouthful. Exactly. But last year's ASAPs president, Colin Noble, mm-hmm. he, oh, they still work, they still have a working relationship with Dr. Baker, mm-hmm. even though they don't even live or are in near proximity to campus. Right. And so that's something that I really value about having, like being on a small campus, especially is that you get to know so many people and then those connections actually do last. And I'd say hopefully a lifetime, but within the time that you're here, you do build connections that are very valuable. Absolutely. I think I'm a good example of that too. I knew a lot of administrators, knew Mm -hmm. a lot of faculty on campus as a student, left and got a job elsewhere and then was hired back. Yeah. (laughs) And right, largely because those people knew me and were familiar with my work product and had seen me spread my wings professionally and then said, hey, there, yeah. Maybe there are some more opportunities for you if you want to come home. And that's kind of another second beauty of Puget Sound mm-hmm. is that you're always somehow reintegrated back mm-hmm. into the Puget Sound community, yeah. whether you're just as an alumni working with alumni associations or an alumni that comes back and works at the right. university itself. And so it's really cool being a part of what we call a logger family because mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is a family at this point where you're just like a face that's known and usually doesn't get forgotten mm-hmm. and the other thing that I think is so nice about it is I mean small is a relative term here because I think there's 30 or 40,000 active members of mm-hmm. the Puget Sound Alumni yeah. Network but because it's relatively small if you think about it compared to like a big state mm-hmm. institution that's graduating 10,000 or 12,000 people a year it actually means something when you encounter another logger in the wild to yeah. say, hey, I'm at Puget Sound. I went to Puget Sound. And there's sort of it. I think that opens a door that feels more personal. Definitely. Than if you have a degree that hundreds of thousands of other people mm-hmm. also have. It's like something about this. What is it? One anchor campus that still connects so many people from across the country and pretty much the world, too. Yeah. It's really cool. I like it. <laughs> Ab- absolutely. 
AJ, I want to talk mm-hmm. to you about your academic work too. Oh, yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> Definitely. I don't want to skip that part of being in college. Will you talk a little bit about what you're majoring in and what mm-hmm. that kind of work is? So I'm a biology major with an emphasis in bioethics on a pre-med slash pre-physician assistant track. So it's just a lot of science. Mm-hmm. Did you know that coming in? Were you Are you a science person? Did you know that's what you wanted? Yeah, definitely knew I wanted to do science. It was my senior year biology class that I actually really fell in love with bio. Mm-hmm. Coming to college, I, I already knew it was going to be tough because you have to take all of the courses like the infamous organic chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that organic chemistry on probably any college campus, but certainly on ours, is perhaps the most infamous course. Oh, yeah. Uh, in terms of just being a lot of material. Exactly. And unlike, I would say, state schools, organic chemistry certainly is a weed-out class, but it's also a class where you kind of build more relationships with professors because you go to their office hours a lot more mm-hmm. than you think you would because the material is so hard. Right. And that's like one of the things that's a beauty of being at Puget Sound and as a STEM major is that professors are always available. <laughs> right. And I would imagine that that actually in some ways sort of prevents it from being a weed out class in the mm-hmm. way it might be at an institution where yeah. you have this hard class and not a lot of avenues for help. Exactly. <clears throat> but yeah, you do have so many resources on this campus, especially with professors just being there. Because most of my professors that I know of, especially two of my professors right now, they live within a less than mile radius mm-hmm. of campus. One lives up the street from campus and one lives two blocks away. So they're always here and they're just pretty much willing to be available to you when you need them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I want to talk to you too about your bioethics emphasis. Mm-hmm. For anybody listening who doesn't know, what is bioethics? Like what kind of stuff do you learn about, talk about, think about in those classes? Mm-hmm. I So sorry, bioethics. The bioethics is a... It's a humanities approach to understanding the concepts of biology within the scope of an ethical sense. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like a definition of the of the word being used in the definition, but it teaches you the different aspects of how biology came to be and the various ethical implications that biology has because of the history of how the field has developed over time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for example, like... One of the well-known examples for, like, the development of medicine, Dr. I think his last name, Mengele, he was a Nazi physician. And so he ran so many experiments on Jewish interned individuals. And so a lot of the things that we now know today in the field of medicine were developed within Nazi camps. And so that's something that a lot of people don't want to recognize, but it's something that has to be talked about because... That's the history, and you can't forget that, especially when you don't want to repeat it again. Um, but also, on a not a lesser note, but kind of approaching biology with a humanistic approach. Mm-hmm. That's kind of funny because that's one of the university course. But, <laughs> <laughs> but being more human in science is so necessary, mm-hmm. especially with STEM majors, because we're always in labs. We're writing lab write-ups. We're pretty much conversating with other STEM majors only and not really being human towards each other. We're just (laughs) kind of robots in a sense. And so bioethics helps with that because it makes you think of the implications of the work that you're doing and its effects on other people after you graduate if you decide to go into fields that involve using 
that involve using human participants. And so being able to conversate with people also, <laughs> that's something that a lot of scientists need to learn, but it's a, pro- it's a work in pro- progress. <laughs> I've told this story on the podcast before, I think, mm-hmm. but to just to illustrate that point, one of my favorite classes I took in college is called Sociology of Health and Medicine. It's an are I'm you taking, taking that it right, right now? now. <laughs> yeah. It's so as you know, it's an upper division uh, sociology and mm-hmm. anthropology class. It's taught by Dr. Ben Lewin, who's yes. a medical sociologist. Ben's great. Hi, Ben. <laughs> um, maybe he's listening. Potentially. Um, and it was. I think I took it my junior or senior year. So I had been, which would have been right. It's a three hundred mm-hmm. level class. I'd been in college for a while, and the class was half like sociology, social science people with an interest in medicine, mm-hmm. public health. And half pre-med biology people like yourself who wanted to be doctors. And the enormous gulf already between those two groups of people, just in the way we thought about learning in class, right, was so evident even after just two, three, four years Mm -hmm. of education. And the one thing I remember more than almost anything else is in most social science classes, a lot of class will be... You'll read something and you'll discuss it, right? So you'll be talking about a case study like the Mm -hmm. example you just gave and people will be sharing their opinions and you'll be connecting it to other theory and sort of trying to understand the way that the sort of puzzle pieces of humanity go together. Mm -hmm. And uh, because the puzzle pieces of humanity are kind of messy, oftentimes there is not an outcome to that, right? You wrestle with it. You think about those things through different lenses. You think about different scenarios uh, and then you go home to keep thinking about them. Mm -hmm. In the natural sciences, there's very often a right answer. And it drove biology majors in that class nuts that we would, a question would be asked and there would not be a, this is the answer to that question that you can put on a note card. I'm (laughs) seeing you sort of like tense up and put on the test. And it was so just striking to me the extent to which the way that those two groups of people thought about knowledge and learning was already specialized. Yeah. Like... Science, it's all structuralized and you have the answer waiting for you. You just have to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. And That's a great like, way of saying it. It's so hard right. to like wrap my head around it, especially because the past two years now with my science classes, I've also taken my university course that involve humanistic and social mm-hmm. sciences. But wow, is it hard? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not going to lie. It it's was... muscles that you use in different ways. Exactly. Especially doing... No offense, Ben, but the readings are kind of heavy, but they're very informative. <laughs> they're and dense. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's another really great point about the differences between those disciplines is I think oftentimes people say, oh, natural science students spend all this extra time in lab, mm-hmm. right? Because you have scheduled time to spend in the labs in addition to your classes. As a proud social scientist, <laughs> I'll say that we spend all that same time working. It's just that there are these huge hundred page readings exactly. to tussle with. And you can do that from the comfort of your own home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, rather than scheduled time in a laboratory. And it is their very different intellectual muscles to flex. And so to bring it all around, it's interesting to me to hear you talk about bioethics because that's a pretty unusual program to have available to undergraduates yeah. as something that you it sounds like you're saying bridges those two really mm-hmm. effectively for you. I especially like it mostly because I've, with the bioethics emphasis, they introduce you to the emphasis in in the form of theory, mm. and then the upper division classes that are available to you within other departments because it's an emphasis, not a major or mm-hmm. minor. So it's cross 
interdisciplinary, and so it allows you to kind of explore other classes within different departments that still bridge your knowledge of science. Mm-hmm. Two hum- humanistic ideas, right? And it's the sociology so of fun. health and medicine class is a great example. Yeah, right. It's it, like so much work, but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but great class. I definitely would give it a ten out of ten so far. AJ, we end all of our conversations by asking everybody the same four questions. Mm-hmm. First question is, what's your favorite place on campus? You'll find me in Diversions Cafe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Diversions is my favorite place, mostly because free dining dollars, so I just get coffee every time I'm there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's where I've met most of my friends, actually. Hmm. My good group of friends, like, I have various groups of friends, surprisingly, but... You're a social butterfly. (laughs) Just jumping around from everywhere I can, can be. But that's where most of my friends hang out, and that's where I see most of the people that I interact with in a non-classroom setting. And so that's where I usually go to decompress slash not do work. So Mm -hmm. if I'm doing work in there, I'm most likely doing my readings or something that is easy that doesn't require as much focus but still can do some things and get some things done. Yeah, I'd say that's my favorite place on campus. What are you reading right now? Right now... I am reading my sociology readings. (laughs) A lot of the readings that I'm doing right now are by a social scientist. I think he's also a medical social sociologist. Sociologist. (laughs) Oh, words are hard. But yeah, his last name is Conrad. And so those, that's the most, most readings I've been doing so far, along with my cell biology textbook. So those kind of go hand in hand a little bit but yeah don't really have that much time to read well you're reading quite a bit yeah it sounds like so (laughs) you're retaining a lot of information hopefully dispelling it back out onto an exam (laughs) so gotta do what you gotta do (laughs) what's your favorite place to eat in Tacoma my favorite place to eat in Tacoma would be gateway to India good pick Indian food and so good (laughs) (laughs) and lastly what makes Puget Sound special Puget Sound is special because I've been able to make more friends here from different walks of life Mm. than I ever thought I could, mostly because with the different things I'm involved in, those helped me get connected with more people. And from having to work with so many different individuals, I've already built friendships out of a working relationship. And so that's my favorite thing is your friendships in classes and in work and in different leadership positions will create your long-lasting friendships because my really good f- group of friends right now, I met all of them for, through Res Life because they're either RAs or RCCs. And so, yeah, friendships and building connections, that's my most favorite thing about Puget Sound. H.J. Villahermosa, thanks for joining me on the Puget Sound podcast. Thank you for having me, Elena. <laughs> Thanks for listening to P.S., the Puget Sound podcast. If you're interested in applying to or visiting Puget Sound, you can find out more at pugetsound.edu slash admission. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at UNIV, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. I'm Elena Becker, and we'll see you next time for P.S., 
the Puget Sound Podcast.